We're going to look this morning at not only the wise men and the stars and the baby, but also about what they gave. And kind of a traditional uh, Christmas sermon when we talk about the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Uh, But what we want to do is begin just by reading the text in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus, now listen, after Jesus, okay, Johnny Ford would tell you, okay, you you don't put your wise men with the nativity, all right? You kind of put them over here on the side because they're coming, all right? They weren't there when Jesus was born, but after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the days of King Herod, Magi, who are wise men, came from the east and arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? This is what they knew they were looking for, this title, the king of the Jews. They didn't know anything else about him, really. They followed a star to get where they were, um, and the star led them. Uh, Amazing, miraculous things. There was some way of knowing that this baby was born and that they were looking for the one who would be known as the king of the Jews. When Herod, the king, well, they said, we saw a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, rightfully so. Now, I want you to know this. Herod was a horrible person, okay? There was nothing good about Herod. Uh, not Harold, okay? Herod. Uh, sorry if there's anybody, there's a Harold in here right now, okay? Uh, Herod was a bad person. Um, Herod would, what we call the slaughter of the innocents, he was going to, because of this, going to murder, and he sent out a decree to murder all the male toddlers two years and under. Um, what a horrible massacre, what a genocide that would come under his watch directly. Uh, Herod would die very shortly after this. If, if Herod only knew how long his life was actually going to last, another year, two years tops, uh, he wouldn't have worried about the king that was coming uh, or this baby king that these wise men came to check out. But here he is, and he's troubled, the Bible says. He's perplexed, worried. And I understand that because he was an egomaniac and there was somebody that was going to challenge his title. But here's what I don't understand. The next line. And all Jerusalem with him. We'll look at that in just a moment. When he had assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet has written. This is Micah, quote directly from Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. He pulled them aside and he learned from them the exact time the star had appeared. And sending them to Bethlehem, he said, go and search carefully for the young child And when you find him, bring back the report to me, so I too may go and worship him. And they heard the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. A couple of things, guys. This is after the birth of Jesus. The star led them to Jerusalem. The star takes them from Jerusalem now to Bethlehem. And it's going to stand directly over the home where Jesus 
and his family were living. <clears throat> when they saw the star, the wise men rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Now you wonder for a second, these aren't even Jews. And they're searching out the king of the Jews and they're rejoicing to find him. But on having come into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and they worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another route. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray from the wisdom and the insight in these scriptures. Lord, I've read this hundreds of times. And I know most of us have heard the story hundreds of times. But Lord, there's fresh insight here. Uh, There's application that we can be made from the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that uh, we don't just focus on the details about uh, where the wise men came from or uh, were the gifts expensive or, or simple things like that, but we look deeper into what were they doing? These people weren't Jews. Lord, there's people outside. There may be somebody in here that's not a Christian. But they came to worship the king, not just the king of the Jews, but the king of kings. And they didn't just come to, to give him presents. It wasn't an, a glorified version of Santa Claus. They came to worship him. They fell on their face to worship the baby king of kings. And Lord, I pray this morning that if our hearts aren't ready for Christmas, but all Christmas means to us is trees and lights and, and presents and, and stuff, Lord God, that you would radically shake us this morning and let us remember it's not about that stuff. Those are great extras. Those are good things. Those are wonderful joys of the season. But Lord, that you sent your only begotten Son so that whosoever will believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And this truth, Lord God, may it be the gift that you present to someone today that they may know and trust Jesus as Savior. For those of us who have some calluses on our hearts, maybe we've grown a little weary and, 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 and forgotten some things along the way about how important this is, that there would be revival, Lord God, that you'd wake us up to the joy of the Savior. And that we too, like these wise men, would be wise, not in our own sight, but in your sight, and fall down and worship you anew today. We ask that you'd give us those hearts to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, won't, I won't harp on this. We, we sing a lot of songs, uh, you know, that, that maybe theologically, as far as uh, chronological order, don't exactly get it right. But uh, we, know, we, we know and we don't know some things, okay? Um, we sing the song, We Three Kings. Uh, we sang that this morning. We don't know if there was three of them, okay? Um, There could have been 300 of them that came. Uh, But we know that there were three gifts. And so typically we think, well, each one brought a gift, okay? So nothing wrong with three kings, but we don't know that for certain. There could have been more. In fact, there may very likely have been more because when they entered into Jerusalem, the king found out about it. Three guys on camels, if they were riding camels... We maybe wouldn't make that much of a stir. But if there's an entourage coming into the city, that does 
make people wonder and perhaps worry about what's going on. Um, we don't know. Um, you know, it, it, we know where they came from, the east. We have some ideas about that. Uh, we know that the gifts that they brought were very expensive gifts that were usually uh, like gold, were found amongst royalty. And so we believe that these folks were wealthy. Um, but there's so much speculation concerning these magi. When the word of God is silent, I'll just give you a, a, a great lesson. And this doesn't just apply to the Christmas story. It's anywhere. When the word of God is silent, we must use great care in supplying our own details. Okay? That's just a general truth to apply to Scripture. Um, in ancient times, the word magi was not a title of royalty, but it was used of those who were called prophets or seers. They were consulters of the stars, uh, and, and sometimes uh, they were even identified as astrologers. In a sense, these people were identified by the term magi, where we get the word magic from, magicians. Uh, but it is highly unlikely that these men were practices, practicers of the dark or black arts. They were more likely counselors to kings, the seers, the people they kept in their court, uh, that they would call for consultation and help in discerning things of the future. They came after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. They arrived during the reign of Herod. Now listen, guys. Herod dies. This is historical proof in 4 B.C. Jesus wasn't born in zero you know, whatever. Herod dies in 4 B.C., so think about this. We live in A.D. times. You go back on the timeline, zero. Herod, four years, he, he, he dies, okay? And the best estimate of historians is that Jesus was born between 6 and 7 B.C., now, there's argumentation on that. The Bible doesn't say, and again, go back to what I said. We don't always have to supply our own details, but we're trying to look at the history of this. And so, if Jesus is born in 6 or 7 B.C., and I know it's hard looking backwards going forward because we always just look backwards, but Jesus is born in 6 or 7 B.C., Herod dies two to three years later, okay? And so in that amount of time, Herod's looking for little boys that are two years old or under to kill them so that he has no direct uh, enemy or someone trying to take his throne. And so when the Magi came, Mary and Joseph were in a house. They were not in the stable. They weren't in the manger anymore. The journey from the east would have taken some time, perhaps a year, maybe two years, is the amount of time that they traveled. Consider that Herod ordered a decree of the slaughter of the two-year-olds and under pertaining to male babies. And so we know that this amount of time has passed as they're arriving these wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They didn't come to Bethlehem first, and they had a question on their lips. Where is he? That's what they were asking people. And, and you, you might imagine some people are like, well, who are they looking for? And he, he, he gets directed to Herod, and they get directed to Herod, and they say, where is he? Who? 
the king of the Jews. And Herod's like, I'm right here, you know? Like, uh, no, we're looking for the one who's been born king of the Jews because the star has led us to him. And so the star and the text surrounding it have really been scrutinized, have a lot of speculation in it, and have been greatly debated. Listen, guys, I'll tell you a couple of things that people will say. And there's a, there's a really good little documentary called The Bethlehem Star, if you've never seen it. Uh, I've got the DVD if you ever want to borrow it. Come by the office and you can, you can borrow it. Uh, but there are some ideas here about what this star was. Some said that it was a comet, that its tail gave guidance to the Magi, that they were basically this slow-moving comet that they followed the tail of it to be able to get to where they were going. Others claim it was a bright light from two planets being in conjunction. Uh, Astronomically, there there is the appearance in 7 BC, this really happened. I think it was Jupiter and another planet aligned, and there was an incredible light. Uh, Others claim that in the Magi studies of the astrology and astronomy, that they somehow discovered a foretelling of a great king, and they just followed their findings. Listen, they may have very likely been familiar with the book of Daniel. Okay, that's not out of the realm of possibilities. Uh, And there is a lot of talking about what would happen. And so maybe they had somehow had uh, these texts that, uh, like Micah and others, that presented something, but you still have the speculation about how did they know the time. And others believe that this was a supernaturally designed cosmic element which was created by God and used for the specific purpose of leading the wise men to Christ. Something like the Shekinah glory cloud that led the children of Israel in Exodus in the wilderness. And really and truly, that last one makes the most sense to me. I don't I don't think it, it, he could have caused a star to stop in heaven. He could have done any, God could have done any of those things, but he used it for his purpose. He used it for a while. Uh, it was something that he had obviously made since he's made all things, and it led them to the place. Any way you slice it, it's a miraculous work of God to lead. Listen, God's doing the leading, and he's still doing that today. Men. And women in our natural state are called enemies of Christ. We are lovers of darkness rather than light. We don't do the prompting. We don't just go say, hey, I want God today. I'm going to go get God. God is always doing some kind of a leading and a convicting and a drawing to himself. And so God did that to them. He's still doing that to us today. And guess what? He's still leading us by this wonderful light the light of the gospel of Jesus, the light of salvation, out of darkness into light. And that's what he was doing with these wise men here. And so they knew that they were looking for the king of the Jews. They saw, recognized, and followed the star by faith. And Matthew uh, doesn't provide all the details here in his gospel account, but they didn't come just to give homage or homage to a monarch, but literally to worship a deity. They, They say that there, and when they find him, they fall down, and they're not just saying, oh, you're a great You're a great king, you know, here's our gifts, king. They're worshiping him. And there's no other word. That same word for worship in the New Testament is used over and over again. Herod was extremely upset because this uh, was really a threat to his stability and authority. And it says that Jerusalem was troubled as well. 
Why would the people of Jerusalem be so upset? Well, you'd think that they'd be filled with excitement, with joy. Their, their long-promised Messiah, the Christ, that his birth has finally come. It wouldn't be trouble for the people. It would only be trouble for Herod. And so there must have been another reason for the people's distress. Guys, I, I wonder today, if Jesus Christ were to burst the heavens wide open, you know, we're not going to have a lot of time to think about it because it says that the dead in Christ will rise first and those that are alive and remain will be caught up with him in the twinkling of an eye and we will be caught up together, it says, and there we will forever be. But I wonder if we heard a trumpet sound, if you would rejoice or if you heard that trumpet sound and you would be troubled. And it an amazing thought that for some the greatest expectation, the greatest hope, the greatest promise, what we're living for and we're ready to die for is that Jesus is coming. And for others, it's the most scary, horrific thought that they would have to face God because they don't know Jesus. For what it does for some to bring excitement to others, it brings distress. Which camp are you in this morning? Herod asked the scribes, and what are scribes? They're the ones who constantly wrote the scriptures on the parchment. They're the ones who knew the word of God. They were copiers and translators. They marked the words. Herod asked the scribes where the scriptures revealed the Messiah's birth would be. They knew, and they rightly answered that it would be in a little bitty town called Bethlehem of Judea. Been seven, eight miles away, right? Not very far from Jerusalem. They quoted the prophet Micah. And you know what they said in that? That not only is God going to provide a ruling king, a ruler, but he's also going to provide a shepherd of his people. And so somebody that will authoritatively lead and take care of, but also calm, comfort, protect, draw near, bring close to himself, and therefore close to God. And so there's this uniqueness of what the people should have been looking for. Jesus comes not only as a king, but as the good shepherd to tend and to care for his sheep. And that had always been promised in the Old Testament. And so Herod secretly visits with the wise men and he sends them out to Bethlehem and, and his evil is really on display here. He wanted news once the child was discovered so that he could go and also worship this child. And he was, if anything, that could have been nothing further from the truth. His ploy was to find out where Jesus was and to murder him. Can you imagine the depth of depravity that would bring in men of God, that would bring in seekers of God to rule over as king of God's people, to consult the word of God, all so you could find the son of God to murder him? How horrible a thought. The wise men followed the star from Jerusalem about eight miles away to the little town of Bethlehem, to the house in which Christ's family lived. 
The star stopped and stood directly over where Jesus was. And when the Magi saw the star of wonder and what it did, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They entered the home, and they fell down at his feet, and they worshipped him. And we wonder, man, I I tell you what, I I don't have a two-year-old anymore. But if some folks, some weird-looking dudes came to my house, and they said, can we come in? We've got presents for your son. Yeah, I guess. I mean, what are these presents, you know? And and they smell. They've been on the road and out in the dusty desert for a while. And they come in and they say, look, the stars led us here. First of all, I'm going to say, cuckoo, you know, like, okay, man, like, I don't know if you're coming in my house. But they come in. This is a different time and era, okay? Uh, And they fall down at the feet of this little boy and they worship him, and they present these gifts, and they're laying this out. I mean, this isn't just like a little bitty tiny box with a couple of gold coins. This isn't just a little jar with some oil or, or anything in it. They are lavishing. I mean, it's got to be a chest of, of what's coming because they also, they don't know this, but God knows this, that Egypt is also on the horizon for this family. And guys, this is where I want to lead in to where it really applies to you and I. What a long journey from the east. What an amount of time to sacrifice out of their lives, a year or two of their lives, just to follow a star. What incredible faith that was on their part. They, They came from the distant east, very likely, the best that we know, it was Persia or what would be Iran today. Think about that area on a map. Uh, it could have been part of Babylon, which is even part of, uh, which is modern day Iraq. It was such a distance to travel, but yet they did it. And they came still, and when they, they found the place, what did they do? Their immediate response and reaction was joy that was uncontainable and worship. Because every time God leads us to Jesus, whether it's worship in the church, whether it's a time of prayer, whether it's a moment where family just gathers around and, and you have a memorial whether it's at a a, a, a celebration of life service, whether it's at the birth of a child, whatever it is, when God shows you himself, when joy is brought to you and you recognize the fullness of the gift of Christ and what he has blessed you with, exceedingly great joy and worship should be our response. And so here are these guys brought into the presence of this toddler. And when they reached their long-awaited destination, they fell on their faces to worship the king of the Jews. And other than themselves, guys, which I want to tell you right now is the greatest gift that you could offer back to God because you got nothing else that he wants. Man, uh, what boys want for Christmas, you got to listen to what they tell Santa Claus, Okay. Boys want for Christmas an electric guitar and a gigantic remote control monster truck, all right? Uh, To them, first of all, those are horrible gifts, Brian, because they make a lot of noise, okay? I think it's a joy of grandparents to get their kids the noisiest gifts, by the way, for Christmas. 
and to feed them candy, okay, which is not good. Anyway, you think about how surprised and shocked those little boys will be if they get that that morning. But I'm going to tell you guys, the greatest gift that you could even receive, okay? You know, you see these goofy commercials where there's a new Lexus with a gigantic bow out in the driveway, and people just walk out with their coffee, and they're like, yeah, you know, like, where'd that $90,000 vehicle come from? I mean, Santa Claus is in that category too. doesn't matter what the greatest gift you could receive would be or what you think the greatest gift you could give back to God would be. All that he wants is your heart. That's it. And you may say, man, I'm jacked up. I'm, I'm messed up. I don't, I'm not worth it. Man, he don't want me. He does want you. And he declared that you were of such worth to him that he would give his only son on your behalf. And what joy there is. And we think, man, I, you know, sometimes you get in that awkward place where somebody brings you a gift and you're like, oh, thanks, I didn't get you anything, you know. And God's like, I don't want anything. I just want you. I want you to receive this. I want you to have this. I want you to use this gift of salvation. But all I want is you. And that's the greatest gift of all. And so, what are you giving? Listen, they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh. I don't know if it was chunks of gold or gold coins or what it was that they gave him, but really and truly, symbolically, gold is the only gift befitting a king, the medal of royalty. Think about these traits, precious, rare, valuable, There was no one more precious, nothing more rare than the only sinless human being ever. Nothing that was more uh, valuable than what God gave to us. And they threw this, they spread this at the feet of the toddler king. Go to the next one. These other ones we're less familiar with. We all know what gold is, but frankincense. It's an incense that uh, is used in places of worship. It's so crazy. My, my wife has essential oils, and she's been burning frankincense or, or whatever it is that you do with oil. Uh, I hope, no, we're not burning oil, okay? Uh, that would catch the house on fire. We're we're diffusing oil, okay? Uh, anyway, she's got this frankincense in the house, and uh, it has these natural medicinal qualities. And um, this was in the tabernacle and the temple of the Lord was the altar of incense. It was like the centermost place. And that, that altar was always attended by priests, where there was always to be made these uh, offerings unto the Lord. And so really, our prayers are, are what symbolizes this act of uh, worship, this act of this aroma that's pleasing to God being brought forth. And it was the sweet fragrance there. And you see that. And then here was the third one. And this is kind of a weird uh, gift. You know, I, I, I think what we've got is you're symbolizing a king with gold. And you've got the frankincense, which really is what priests deal with. And so you're talking about a king, and you're talking about a, a high priest. And then you get this gift. And as a parent, you're kind of like, what do I do with this one? And it's myrrh. And myrrh was really used to anoint the dead. When the Marys came to the tomb of Jesus, they would have definitely had myrrh to help anoint the body. 
after his crucifixion. And so you obviously have the gifts for a king, the gifts for a priest, and the gift for a funeral. And that was not by accident, obviously. And you think about Mary and Joseph, and I don't think that they wondered about these things. I think it may have taken a second to click. But all the prophecy from all the angels, all the, the words that were given to them, they knew something was going to happen. That this boy was extraordinarily special. And God was sending heralds, even now, to show them and show the world just what value he has. Unlike Herod, who sought to rob God, the Magi sought to honor God. And if you're not a giver to God, the Bible says, plain and simple, that we are robbing God. And I'm not talking about your wallet this morning, all right? I'm talking about you. The Magi brought these lavish gifts, and guys, some of us do not have gifts like that that we could ever lay before the feet of anyone. But they gave this stuff because he, they believed fully, they were sold out fully, that he was worthy of their sacrifice of life, of endangering their lives, of all the time it would take, of all the, 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 the constant stopping and charting, of the weariness, the thirstiness, the hunger that they experienced, the tiredness that they experienced, the, the filthiness that they went through to get there. All of this was a worthy sacrifice to give to him. And it cost them a lot. And guys, a good sacrifice always costs you something. It involved energy and effort. It took time. But I promise you, those men would go down in history. We're never told about who they were. We don't even know their names. And it doesn't matter. Your names may not be written in lights. They may not go over a building. They may not be uh, in history books sometime along the way. But your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that is the greatest accomplishment and reward and honor that you could possibly have. But it's only written there if you know Jesus. They invested in God's kingdom. You know, it's great. Um, I, I was talking to Mike yesterday. Uh, you know, my brother has called and he says, you know, he's, he's investing in cryptocurrency. And I'm like, oh, cool. Uh, I don't know anything about that. I know that people invest in stocks. I know people invest in lots of things. And, and I've made some investments along the way. I was talking to Mike yesterday about some of the investments that he's made. We invest in land. We invest in things in our lives. It's usually a sacrifice to invest because you don't normally have a stack of money just laying around that you're like, throw it over there, put it into that. We have to give up something or sacrifice for a period of time to get a return. And investments in this life can pay great dividends or they can really hurt us and cause incredible loss. But I'm telling you guys this, and you know it, and it's not cliche, that the greatest investment you'll ever make is into the kingdom of God. When's the last time that you overcame your fear and your anxiety and your lack of Bible knowledge 
and you went to somebody and instead of just um, talking about sports and weather, you said, I have to tell you something. I want to know if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And they may laugh at you or scoff at you or kind of brush you aside, but say, no, listen to me. I just want to share my testimony with you about what he did for me. And you share that and you give the gift of yourself to them. What they do with it is entirely up to them because God does the same thing. Think about it. You think you're the only one that gets rejected and, and cast out and pushed aside. God gives us the gift of his son. How many of us receive it? How many of us just cast it aside? It's the most unwanted gift at Christmas is Jesus. And it's the season that's most about him. I tell you all of this because what investments are you making into the kingdom of God? Every investment you make in the kingdom of God, the Bible says, will return 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. And I'm not encouraging you just to give of your time and your talent and your treasures to the church out of duty. That's not what God's desiring. Or am I telling you that just because you give, that that's the greatest get-rich scheme ever, because that's not true. I'm encouraging you to give because you so love the God who so loves you. It brings joy. It brings the love of God and the joy of the Lord upon you. Guys, to finish this, these guys weren't Jews. They traveled a long way, and they poured out their wealth just to honor Jesus. They knew nothing of the cross. Listen to this. They didn't know that, as far as we know, they didn't know anything about the cross. They didn't know that he was going to die when he was 33 years old and sacrifice himself as the perfect, sinless son of God to save mankind. They knew nothing about the resurrection. I don't know that they knew about heaven. Maybe they did. But they did all of this stuff without the future knowledge of Jesus. And guys, we know all about Jesus by looking back. We know the blessing and the joy, the peace and the love. We know the kindness and the gentleness and the filling of the Spirit. We know the joy of the Lord is our strength. We know that God indwells the prayers of his people. We know all these things about him. And they knew nothing. And yet they were willing to give everything. And sometimes we know everything and are willing to give nothing. So that's the danger. We're called to give our best to the master and to never rob God. And again, guys, before you tune out and turn off, I am not just talking about money, but money is a worthy sacrifice of the Lord when you invest in his kingdom. You think about this. We had all of these people that were devastated with loss a couple of days ago. We were very concerned about all our family in northeast Arkansas, my brother living north of Memphis, some friends that are out there in Tennessee. We were up for a long time waiting, just praying, God, please help, protect. And, and we see the, the path, the track of the storm, and we know that people are hurt. People lost everything. Immediately we heard that there was a, a, a nursing home. I think it was maybe in Monette, uh, that there was entrapment, that people were there, that there were people that were immediately sacrificing themselves with the threat of more storms coming. They went and got school buses from the school. They went to the nursing home. They were helping people out so that they could move them out of the direct return of a storm coming. There were people that are out there today with chainsaws 
that are sweating, that are laboring. There are people out there today that are, are planning funerals because somebody in their home died. There are people out there today that are meeting with insurance adjusters when their dream home that they'd spent their entire life waiting to build is ravaged. It's gone. I say all of that stuff because it's a sad thing, but it's easy for us to sit back because we were untouched and say, what a tragedy. How sad. I hope they get their lives rebuilt. And to not do anything about it. Guys, if all you do is wish them well, you haven't made a sacrifice. If you've prayed for them, there's sacrifice involved in prayer. If you've given to support them, there's sacrifice involved in giving. If you load up in your truck and you get your chainsaw and your hard hat and and you take your shovels and you go out and you help them, there's sacrifice in that. The question is not even an earthly thing because we care about that stuff, but heavenly, eternal things. Where's your sacrifice invested into that? I know that the Southern Baptists and the Grahams and others go, and they not only help with the homes, but they also pray for and minister to the people who experience the loss. Are we willing to do that? They need that. Are we willing to lavish our very best at the feet of Christ? I'm going to ask you this morning to pray with me. There's a lot to think about in that story, and it seems like such a simple little story. But I'll tell you the summation of it all. God does not care about how much you're worth as far as your IRA, 401k, how much you make in your job, how much you've got saved, how much you've got invested into this world. You know why? This world's going to burn. One day, it's going to be destroyed. You know what won't be destroyed is your soul. It's going to go on to live somewhere, whether in heaven or in hell. God sacrificed his very best to give to you his only son, which is your only way to the Father. You don't get there by being a good person. You don't get there by going to church. You don't get there by helping the poor and the needy. You go to heaven based solely on your personal relationship to Jesus Christ. It's not about your mama's relationship or your daddy's relationship. Your uncle's a deacon in a church or your grandpa was a pastor somewhere. That stuff isn't what God's looking at. He's looking at you. Are you willing to give of your very best, even if you don't think it's worth very much, to the Lord? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself this morning to lay down before the cross of Christ and plead mercy? Father, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a sinner and I've made a mess of my life. Father, I, I've done so many things that I'm so ashamed of and I'm not proud of the way I'm living right now. But Father, I know based on your word and your promise that you'll forgive me of anything. And this morning, Lord God, I beg and plead forgiveness. I beg and plead for mercy. I ask you, Lord God, to restore me, Lord God, to make me new again. Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would save my soul. I give myself to Jesus today. 
Father, I pray that you would give me a home in heaven and that while I'm on this earth, Lord God, that I'd live for you, that I'd be a better Christian, that I'd live for your glory, that I'd do more to serve you, and I'd tell people about you. Oh, Lord, I I pray this morning that if I need to rededicate my life, that I would willingly do that. Oh, Lord, I've, I've been saved, but I've never been baptized, and I know you call believers to follow you in scriptural baptism. Oh, Lord, I haven't been the dad I need to be. Maybe you haven't been the wife you need to be. I haven't been the employee. I've been slacking off and and really stealing. Where's your need this morning, church? You don't have to travel thousands of miles to get to Bethlehem. You just have to go to the throne. And it's right here, right now. Are you willing to lay it down and give yourself? Because the Lord has promised to help those. This morning, God, we pray for your help, for your love to be lavished upon us, for your mercy, for your forgiveness. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would move in our hearts and do something really miraculous today, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.